Before we continue, one of the ways we keep all of our content for you, the listener, free of charge is our amazing sponsors, and today Anchor is one of those sponsors. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcasts right from your phone or computer. Anchor is going to distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere podcasts are listened to, and you can even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey, 83 Weeks fans, are you craving some human interaction? We got you covered. We are live with Eric Bischoff himself. You listen to them. Now hang out with us. This is After 83 Weeks with Christy Olson. That's me. I'm Maria Menunos, and you're tuned in to AfterBuzz TV, the ESPN of TV talk. Now, let the buzz begin. Woo! Hello, everybody! We are bringing you the big energy today because, well, because we have to, because I'm sure you all need it. We are so happy that you all have joined us live. We have the whole crew here, not here, remotely from their own home. Hello from West Hollywood. And Eric has joined us right now as well. I'm sure you guys are all craving a little fun, a little something different and new. So we are bringing it to you. I hope you can see us all. It's just me talking to myself at this point. There they are, live chat. Welcome. <laughs> and I'd like to say hello to Steve Kaufman. Hey, Steve. Why, hello. Thank you for joining me. I These are just a couple things I've assembled behind me. Yay. Love it. Love it. The whole collection. And George Ramosa is here as well. Hey, G. Herm. Hello. How are you? I'm good, thank you. I am really excited because we also have with us, of course, the man, the god of wrestling, uh, author, former executive director of SmackDown Live, all the things, and of course, the host of 83 Weeks. Hello, Eric. How are you doing? I am doing well. <clears throat> Beautiful uh, Cody, Wyoming. We are uh, just struggling along like everybody else, watching people overreact and some people underreacting and studying humanity, you know, at its best and at its worst. <laughs> well, I think a lot of people look to someone like you as, um, a, you know, a very intelligent person, a smart figure. You've been around the world. I think maybe some people would gauge how to react by the way you're reacting. So why don't you share with us a little bit your thoughts on all this craziness? Mm, I think it's obviously a very, very serious situation. I mean, you've, you've got a, a virus that's new to the medical community around the world. There's no known uh, antidote. There's no known treatment at this point. Um, there's no way to inoculate yourself against it like you can with the flu and other things that we're more familiar with. Um, so the fear of the unknown is interesting because it's, as I, you know, half joking around watching the best and worst of humanity, I think we're seeing what happens when panic and fear start to override common sense and logic. And, you know, that's, that's interesting for me, for myself, you know, I'm not worried. I'm 65. So theoretically I'm in a uh, higher risk uh, zone, I guess, but I'm healthy. I have, I'm using common sense. I'm not hanging out in crowds. I'm making sure if I do have to go out to put gas in my car or, you know, go grocery shopping or do anything outside that uh, I'm aware of what I touch and how close I get to people and make sure that I wash my hands a lot when I get home and when I'm out. And other than that, not much else you can do. So I'm, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not worried about it, but I'm also aware and staying aware. I'm, I'm watching and reading, probably more reading what's coming out from legitimate uh, sources as opposed to watching what they're talking about on television, because I think television for the most part are all horse and they're, yeah. they're 
they're pipping themselves out, trying to politicize, trying to create fear, trying to do whatever they can to keep people tuned in because that's good for their business. Uh, so I don't, I don't get much of my information from the news, but I do, uh, I'm staying pretty close to my laptop and reading about what's going on from sources that I trust. Well, you mentioned when we first connected with you, you were watching TV. So were you taking in the news or maybe NXT or AEW? What were you watching? No, not yet. Um, I'm, I'm taping AEW. I'm going to, to watch that. Uh, it, NXT is not on here yet. So I'll be going back and forth. I'm supporting both. You know, I sent a tweet out. I'm glad you brought that up. I sent a tweet out earlier today. You know, and I, and I sent a similar tweet out, you know, when SmackDown was playing in front of a, 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 an empty arena for the very first time last week. I did the same thing for Monday Night Raw, and I did the same thing today for AEW. And in the tweet today, I included something that I wanted to include last week, which is, you know, some of the hardest working and most dedicated people in the entire sports entertainment slash professional wrestling industry, whatever you choose to call it. Some of those people are unknown to the vast majority of wrestling fans around the world. They're names that people have never heard of. They're equally as dedicated. They're equally as hardworking. And in a way, they're putting themselves at risk just like the talent in the ring does in a different way. And I think, you know, special shout out to everybody who's working on those crews, whether it's NXT, AEW, or anywhere else where, you know, promoters are trying to keep the dream alive and the talent is trying to, you know, keep working under these bizarre circumstances. And I think we should support everybody, regardless of your political alignment or how you feel about anything. You know, the industry needs your support. Keep the negative commentary to yourself. Keep the bullshit to yourself and show them some love. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that sentiment. So I, I, oh. please, go ahead. I, I was going to say, I, I 100% agree. But I was curious, uh, You, this episode was about Steve Austin. Do you prefer when you go like a deep dive into like these superstars? Or do you like covering like the three-hour pay-per-views or maybe the occasional nitros or Clash of the Champions when it comes to your podcast, 83 Weeks? I, honestly, I prefer the deep dives. As anybody that's you know listened to me knows, I tend to go off on tangents and, and go into the weeds, as I say sometimes. Um, for me, that's... That's what I'm most interested in. It's the, the, the business behind the business, the details within the details, the story behind the story um, that I find most fascinating when I listen to people uh, in their respective lines of, of expertise or professions. So that's just naturally where I go. Now, unfortunately, you know, I can't do a deep dive with a lot of talent. You know, there are certain talents I can't because of the relationship that I had with them. But it's not like I've got that kind of deep, you know, long-term relationship with dozens and dozens of talent. Uh, there were a lot of high-profile names that worked for me that I never really got to know all that well and never had that much interaction with it, it, to enable me to go into a real deep dive. But, Steve, obviously there was a lot of meat on the bone, and, you know, we could chew on that one for three, four hours with no problem and still have stuff to talk about. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, we have a great question here uh, from the chat that is very timely. I want to make sure we cover. Michael Allen Rubin wants to know, Eric, were you interviewed for the new Vice documentary on Chris Benoit? So they're talking about the premiere episode of um, The Dark Side of the Ring that's going to talk about both Chris Benoit and Eddie Guerrero. Will you be appearing in that episode? No, no, no. I've done some other episodes for them. And I was not disappointed in any way because I'm not sure how I would have felt about you know, getting into the subject matter for whatever reason, I guess it's just, it's, I don't think it's wrong that they're doing it. I don't think it's wrong that anybody that felt 
that it was appropriate for them because of their relationships with Chris. For me, um, again, that's another example of a guy who I was really not that close to. I never really got to know Chris Benoit. I knew him professionally very well. And, you know, we got along just fine professionally. But I never really sat down and had an in-depth conversation with Chris, you know, outside of business. Um, we never talked about things not related to what we had to do on any particular day. So it would be hard for me to really share much that would have been meaningful in a documentary like that. But I don't hold it against those who did. I know there's a little bit of backlash about that, but I don't think there should be. I think it's an interesting story. I think it's a cautionary tale in many respects. I think it creates awareness. You know, in the trailer I saw, there was already discussion within the trailer uh, about brain injuries and head injuries and things like that. So I think to, to that degree, it's probably valuable. Well, as um, someone who's produced so much TV, do you think there would be kind of a right way to approach that? Honestly, you know, I, I guess is the only answer I would have. You know, obviously in a documentary, you're going to hear from friends and family. You're going to hear and see um, – parts of Chris's life that maybe we haven't seen or heard before that help us get a better understanding of who he was and how, what happened. <coughs> Allergies, not Corona. Uh. <clears throat> so I'm sure we're going to see a lot of that, but I think if you're going to approach a subject matter that's this serious, that there's only one way to do it. And that's with 100% honesty and integrity. Um, you mentioned on this episode that you feel Vince McMahon's reasons for not canceling WrestleMania last week were insurance-based. In your dealings with Vince McMahon, do you think he walked into this meeting cards on the table with Tampa, asking them to cancel, or do you think it was a bit more close to the vest? Uh, I, I, again, I know nothing. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know that the insurance was an issue. I suspect that it was. I have no inside information that leads me to believe that that's it. That's just kind of a common-sense view from the sidelines. Um but to your question, if I had to guess, I would have, I would guess that Vince kept his cards pretty close to the vest um, and was there to assure the local community that uh, WWE was prepared to do anything and everything required um, should they decide to keep the event uh, on the schedule. And likewise, should they have to cancel it? So I, I, I don't think he went there with an agenda so much as he went there because WrestleMania is a very important event. It's important to the company. It's important to the shareholders. And uh, I think sending anybody other than Vince McMahon would have probably not looked that good. Well, one of our chatters with a very interesting name of Dick Buttkiss, he actually wants to know what your thoughts on WrestleMania are. And the latest has just come across the way in the last 45 minutes or so, the announcement that WrestleMania will now be a two-night affair, Saturday and Sunday, from the Performance Center, and it will be hosted by Rob Gronkowski. So the chat roll wants to know, Eric, what are your thoughts on this? Well, it's interesting. I saw that today, too. I've been staying pretty close to social media today. <clears throat> and I saw that right after it broke about Rob Gronkowski and the, you know, splitting it up over two nights and so forth. What's interesting, and I don't know if I've done it on this show or not. I know I've done it a lot in different interviews I've done over the years. And I've, I've referred to it probably in the podcast over the last couple of years, but oftentimes I'm asked, um, you know, how important the audience is to the show itself. 
And and one of the things that I've said over the last three decades and when I got that question was someone told me once that, and I don't know if this is true. So if it's not true, don't bust my balls. Freshly shaven, I may add. <laughs> Thank thanks you for to, that. Th- uh, thanks, to thanks to our sponsors over at Manscaped. Um, <laughs> had to throw that in there. I'm sorry, Chrissy. Um, the, you know, the question often comes, you know, how big, how, how important is, you know, the audience to television? And my answer was, as I said, someone told me once that Elvis Presley said, through Danny Information, that the most important part of any of his shows was the audience. And that always, has always stuck with me. And that's why I've always done things to try to surprise, shock, whatever I could, keep the audience alive, Nitro Girls. All of those decisions were probably born out of the fact that it made a lot of sense to me that the audience is like the third, per- the fourth person in the ring. You've got the two combatants. If it's a singles match, you got the referee, and then you've got the audience. So there's really five characters, you know, or four characters on the show. And it, to draw an analogy or to draw kind of an example, I would say just imagine, just you close your eyes, use your imagination, take the best WrestleMania match you can you can imagine, whatever you think your favorite WrestleMania match is. Now have that match in a high school gym in front of no people. But it's about about what we're going to see. I never, you know, when I said that, when I used that analogy over and over and over again over the last 10, 20 years, I never would have imagined that we'd be sitting here, you know, discussing the fact that WrestleMania is going to take place and there's not going to be anybody there. As far as Gronkowski goes, I think that's a great ad. I've seen Rob, you know, I don't know him, as I said to you last week, never been around him in person, but I've certainly seen him on television a lot. And he's great on television. The camera loves him. He loves the camera. He's got a great personality. And that's what you need in a host. And it's going to make it feel live. It's going to make it feel fresh. It's something different. And I think it's going to lighten up the mood substantially. So I think it was a good move. There's so much WrestleMania talk. And I've been on Twitter a lot. And people like to pit Vince as the bad guy. Oh, why doesn't Vince cancel already? Do you think that's, do you think that's unfair? And you mentioned a little bit about Tampa not wanting to cancel Mania. Do you think it was Tampa that has a lot more to lose? Because there's going to be a WrestleMania next year and the following year. Who knows when the next time Tampa is going to host a WrestleMania. Do you think it was a matter of maybe just Tampa not wanting to have that? Like you mentioned on the podcast, they don't want to be the ones that say, hey, local businesses, you guys are going to lose out on a lot of money because of it not happening. I, I, well, I, I do think that was a consideration. I don't think anybody should blame anybody. This is a, I agree. Fucked, a fucked up situation. There's no... You know, there's no playbook for something like this. There's no guidelines. There's no. There's nothing that has ever happened in the past on this scale nationally that we can look to and say, oh, well, this is what happened last time, so we should probably follow that model. This is just, you know, and it's day-to-day. That's the other thing that just drives me batshit crazy <laughs> is, you know, these pundits, and I'm sorry, I, I try not to go to this stuff because it gets me worked up, but these talking heads in mainstream media, everywhere you look now, First of all, they're all ignorant, and I mean that in the literal sense of the term, not in a derisive sense. They don't know what they're talking about. They are ignorant of the subject matter. At best, they're repeating what they heard somebody else say, who was probably just as ignorant and vacuous as they are. Um, And that shit drives me crazy because people don't know how to discern the difference between legitimate information, credible information, and self-serving political you know, merchandising of fear. And and that's what I see now in the media. So since there is no playbook, 
there is no right or wrong. And because where I was going with this before I drove myself into the ditch, this situation is changing by the hour. Information to the scientists who were studying this this virus, those of which were trying to create vaccines against it or antidotes for it, they're getting new information every and, and learning what they need to learn every hour. But yet the media would like to suggest that somehow somebody should have a crystal ball and should have foreseen all of this. And there should be ready-made solutions just waiting in the wings and reserve in a warehouse somewhere so that there is no problem and there is no disruption to our lives. And it's just, it's, it's fairy tale thinking. It's fantasy thinking. So because, and again, I, I'm sorry, I went into the weeds, but since there is no playbook, I don't think Tampa should be blamed. I don't think Vince should be blamed. I'm blamed. I think everybody's doing the best they can with the information of the situation as it's evolving every 20 minutes. Um, to switch gears, uh, Michael Allen Rubin in the chat wants to know if you were scared at all working with Steve in the WWE, if he'd work stiff. No, no. You know, it's it's funny thing about wrestlers in my experience and i've worked with you know when i got in the ring with rick flair i had more heat with rick flair than i ever had with steve austin trust me when i tell you that um that that situation got really ugly if you if you think you know firing steve by fedex you know registered on somebody's richter scale imagine telling rick flair that i was prepared to sue him for breach of contract and push him into bankruptcy if i had to i said that I'm not denying I said it. You know, his his responses or his position was just about as aggressive as mine. But that situation was very real. And then a month later or whatever it was, you know, to be in the ring with him, if I was ever going to be concerned about somebody taking shit a little too too seriously or, or personally, it would have been then. But I wasn't scared then either. Um, it, it, wrestlers have and I guess it's part of the culture it's part of the tradition it's part of what makes professional wrestling such a unique form of entertainment in the world there are certain rules and regulations there are certain guidelines that you have to play within and if you've got heat with somebody no matter how bad that heat is go kick the shit out of them you know out in a parking lot go find out where they're having a beer after the show you know and take a crack at them but when you're in the ring it's a no-fly zone for that kind of shit. You don't do that. And I've, I've noticed that with you know between other wrestlers that had personal issues, that just didn't get along and wanted to kill each other outside of the ring. But inside of the ring, they got the job done and they were pros. So it, it, for that reason alone, I wasn't concerned. And this is going to sound like you know hard guy, tough guy, badass shit. It's not. It's just the truth. I'm I've never been afraid of anybody. Period. I just that's it's just not something that I've experienced when I was a kid. Probably I did when I was in my teens. I probably did. Um, but as I got older and realized that fear is a weapon that you're handing somebody else, um, I don't have it. That's deep. I like that, Eric. <laughs> Inspiring for this time that we're living in right now. Uh, and kind of going off that idea about injuries and stuff, Michael Allen Rubin in the chat wants to know, Eric, do you agree with Bret Hart's opinion that Goldberg is reckless and dangerous and hurt more guys than anyone else? Uh, perhaps you can address that stigma. Yeah, I'm going to leave that one go. You know, I made up my mind. I saw Bret, 
No, look, I'm not afraid of it. It'd be easy. It would be easy for me to answer that question. And I've probably answered similar questions, not that one in particular, but similar questions in the past. But I saw, I saw Brett um, in the UK last year, and we were all sitting at a table. It was kind of awkward, you know, because Brett was sitting right across the table from me, and Kevin Nash was there, and Ric Flair was there, and there was a bunch of people there, and everybody was having a good time. And Brett got up, and, you know, I think he went to go use the restroom, and I, I followed him. And I waited for him outside the restroom so I could catch him when there was nobody around. Um, and I just told him, I said, Brett, you know, I'm too old to be carrying this silly shit around with me and being negative and rehashing and reliving, you know, feuds and grudges and all that kind of shit. I, I'm just not going to do it. You do whatever you want, Brett, but I'm, I ain't playing anymore. And that was it. And we both kind of nodded to each other and went back to the table, had beers and didn't have another word to each other, but we didn't have a crossword either. So it's just me. I'd rather not engage in that kind of 20 year old grudge match because it's just not what I want to do. Yeah. Well, he may not have um, taken that so much to heart because he just last week was going in on Hulk Hogan, uh, not saying some very nice things. So what he chooses to do. I understand that. And I, and Look, I, I told Brett how I was going to handle our shit. I don't care what Brett does. Brett's going to handle life the way Brett handles life, and he's going to get through his days the way he has to get through them, just like I do. And he's going to react to those types of interviews the way that he feels is best for him, just like I will. Um, I don't think it makes anybody look good, me or anybody else, to constantly bang on these old drums you know, I have to catch myself. And I'll beat the fuck out of Meltzer just because I enjoy it. Oh. Uh, and every every once in a while, a Russo comment will, you know, slip through my fingers. And I usually regret it because I don't want to pay any attention or give him any attention. Um, but for the most part, you know, I, I don't think it makes anybody look good. And I, I told Brett, you know, I'm, I'm tagging out. You can do whatever you want. You know, Brett Brett's a guy that's, you know, he still lives in that world. It still clearly has... It still clearly weighs on him, or he wouldn't keep going there. And, you know, maybe he's going there because people keep asking the same questions, hoping that they're going to get some kind of, you know, click-worthy response, you know, on their websites. I don't know, but I ain't going there. Hmm. We Good love to know. Uh, all right, well, hopefully another positive question. Considering that you guys covered Steve Austin on 316, is it safe to say that you're going to cover Rob Van Dam on 420, which is on a Monday, by the way? He's going to be your new programming exec, this guy. I, I, think we, I think we got to do that. I think Conrad's right? a little busy this moment selling some mortgages, but sometime this week I'm going to text him. Right? I mean, yeah. come on. Like, you guys, I know you guys had some history in WWE. I mean, obviously a talent, but I know you work with them in TNA. Am I correct? I worked with him in TNA. I, I was just over in Qatar with him. Qatar, not Qatar. <laughs> you mucker fathers that have been busting my chops on social media for so long. Um, I've gotten, I've probably gotten to know Rob better in the last 15 years than I've been out of the business than the 15 years previous to that when I was in it. Um, I don't know Rob real well, but I know him well enough to carry better part of a two-hour show. Hmm. I'm excited. Have you had the opportunity to see his girlfriend Katie in the ring at all or meet her? 
I've seen her on Twitter. Awesome. <laughs> right? <laughs> I saw some cool I saw some pictures at his pool. It must have been in his apartment with his his girl and another girl. And I, you know, hats off to Rob, man. <laughs> Not doing he's too got, shabby over there. He's, he's got his hands full. Uh, mostly MMA Sorry. wants to know, Eric, what are your thoughts on WCW being lowballed during the sell? Apparently the guy in charge of selling WWE lowballed and dealt with a guy from WWF who is a former member. Thoughts? Is... Is there? I, I should actually ask. Is there quite a lowballing as he described? I'm I'm leading not, you to a blue shoe live read. I'm not really sure of. No, that's a manscape. I'm uh, not really sure what that question really was. It was a little confusing the way I heard it. Um, I'm trying to decipher it a bit more. I think. Yeah, sorry. That, <laughs> sorry, jumped in. I. I also want to talk, we talked about on this episode, it was a Saturday night's main event from 1994 where your teeth came out and then you caught them. Yeah, This was a great story. It's not a question so much as I want to point out that ever since I've heard this Monday, I've been trying to track down this tape. And WWE does not, the WWE Network does not have uh, Saturday night main events from 1994. And I reached out to Mafu, the Botchamania guy, and he told me he's seen it it was a really low quality rip and that he couldn't see anything. So it was more a comment just because I had the time. Yeah. Well, it was a live show. Number one, which is probably, probably why there's no archive of it. Um, and the tape you saw was probably somebody's home VHS that was dubbed over, which is probably why it looked like shit. Uh, but yeah, no, it happened. And look, it happened really fast. I made it sound like it took like 12 minutes for me to slowly reach out grab my teeth like a scene in a, a movie and slap them back into my mouth but it happened that fast it's really quick and I was just fortunate that I was able to catch him with my left hand but we've been we've been trying to find this tape well don't try much harder because I don't need to I, see that <laughs> I don't need I don't need to have that popping up on my social media and on my Twitter feed for the next 25 years of my life I'll stop. Well, something, something that I'm sure has popped up is um, Gail, Christy Hemi, and Lita are all trying to raise some money to create a new TV show that sounds like it's going to be it's going to be called Kayfabe, and it'll be kind of based in reality, but really a scripted show, kind of at the end of the day, that focuses on women in the professional wrestling business. That kind of sounds like something that Eric Bischoff could be a great partner for. Are you close with any of those ladies? Um. Who's involved again? Uh, it's Lita and then Gail Kim and Christy Hemi. I'm friendly with all of them, not friends with any of them. And I'm pretty sure that, you know, Gail's close enough. She's got enough proximity to the world of television, um, given her relationship. Um, Christy, I think, has a pretty... Um, um, solid. She's got a lot of self-confidence in, in her ability, I think. Um, so no, I, I don't see them reaching out and asking for any help. And honestly, I'm kind of, you know, I'm doing some things that are a little bit outside of wrestling again. You know, I, I try every, every time I go through this cycle, and it seems to be happening all the time, you know, where I think, okay, I'm done with it. I'm just not going to get involved anymore. And a period of time goes by and then bam, there I am again. And then every time I go through that transition, I say, okay, that was the last time. So from now on, I'm going to focus on something entirely different and do something new. 
I don't want to keep going back to what I used to do. Um, but I end up doing it. But I'm, I'm trying not to. So even if I were to uh, get that call, I probably would be, I'd be flattered and grateful, but I probably wouldn't be interested either. Anything you want to share that you're working on right now? You have such varied interests. You know, um, I, I can't get too specific, but uh, two two different television formats and obviously one big movie. Um, so that's kind of where my focus is right now. All right. Well, uh, I do have a question. Oh, no, go ahead, George. Uh, you got no microphone right now, All right, George. There we go. Okay, there we go. Uh, so going back to Steve Austin, I know that uh, the big comparison, Austin, Goldberg, whatnot, but when Goldberg went on Jay Leno to challenge Steve Austin, was that Goldberg going into business for himself? Or was that something that WCW said, all right, when you go on Leno, make sure you throw out the challenge to, to Steve Austin? Oh, no, he didn't go. No, that was – we talked about it before the show. Hmm. He, he, wasn't going in, he wasn't going into business for himself. Uh, Michael Mackey asked on Twitter, specifically, you made comments, I want to say, on TSN's Off the Record. And it the – photo he sent us was from an 03 interview, but you said it before that, where you mentioned that Stone Cold Steve Austin in the WWF is a big fish in a small pond. Do you want to know if you were joking or what you could have meant by that? Well, and, and by the way, Michael Mackey is probably one of our most loyal listeners, followers. Um, so shout out to Michael Mackey. I know he's watching in Australia um, as we speak because he asked me what time of the day it was on. So big shout out to Michael Mackey. Um, and by the way, I got to meet Michael last time I was in Australia. We were out about one o'clock in the morning and grabbed two beers before they closed the bars down. It was awesome. Um, you know, the comment I made on TSN was in an interview. And I think you have to, you know, you'd have to go back and watch the interview. I'm trying to remember it. I remember generally. But the, I think the question Michael Landsberg asked me was about Steve Austin at the time in WWE when WWE was getting its ass kicked. When, when Steve Austin went to WWE and started to become Stone Cold Steve Austin, he was the biggest fish in that pond. And at that time, it was a relatively small pond compared to WCW. I believe that that was the context in which I made that statement, but I did make that statement and it was on Michael Landsberg's show in Canada. He's a little twit, by the way. <laughs> What did he do to uh, earn that? He, he, he's a journalist. All right, point. It's kind of like a dog, kind of like a kind of like a dog catcher. Everybody knows they got to have a job, and nobody really likes them. <laughs> well, then let's turn away from the journalist into the chat role. Uh, Michael Allen Rubin wants to know, Eric, did you like working with the late Leon White? Thoughts on Leon White? Not really. Um, Leon was Vader was a very emotional guy, very temperamental guy. Um, and he was all over the map, you know, one minute he could be your best buddy in a big giant redheaded teddy bear. And the next minute he would be a 350 pound, 400 pound asshole in a rage. And that took the fun out of it a little bit. I ton of respect for him, ton of respect for him. I think he's one of the best big men in the history of the business. I think he probably could have been a much, 
more important part of the industry had he been a little more consistent. But uh, for me personally, working with people that are that hot and cold is more challenging than fun. Well, the chat role is in full debate mode now, whether Steve Austin or Hulk Hogan are the greatest of all time and whether that's even a dumb question or not. So, you know, <laughs> I don't I, know if you care to weigh in on that one, Eric. I, I, it's not a dumb question, but it's a it's a debate that was never going to have a right answer. And again, here we go. Get out your lawnmowers. We're going into the weeds. You can't compare. It's so hard to compare, you know, because Hulk Hogan, whether you love him, whether you don't, whether you respect him, whether you don't, Hulk Hogan was the character who, along with Vince McMahon behind the scenes, created the phenomenon of the WWF and, and WWE. Had there been no Hulk Hogan, there likely would have not been a WWE to watch tonight. Had there been not, had there not been a Vince McMahon Jr., we, we would not be watching Monday Night Raw tonight. So those two are, however people want to subjectively um, assign value it's facts are the facts. Hulk Hogan was the shit throughout the eighties and into the early nineties. Wrestling took a giant dive, steroid trial, saturation, whatever you want to do, born creative, whatever the reasons. It was probably a combination of things. Wrestling took a giant dive in the mid nineties and WWE in particular took a giant dive in the mid to late nineties. And then when they pulled the nose up, when they changed their format, changed their creative approach, the guy who did it, the, the yeah. 90s version of Hulk Hogan was Stone Cold Steve Austin. So they both, to me, have equal value, but in different ways, you know? But everybody's got an opinion. That's, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah, it's one, of those, it's one of those where you're not wrong, or nobody's wrong when it comes to Hogan Austin. But just real quick on Steve Austin. Do you have you seen any of his movies where there's the condemned Grown Ups 2? Uh, I'm sure he's been in much more, but... Have you seen any of Austin's movies? And if you have, which one was your, was your favorite? I have not seen any of Austin's movies, so I love them all. <laughs> uh, Good answer. Mostly MMA has a really fun question. He wants to know if you've personally ever shown up to a Nitro party. Mm, no. I wish I would have. That would have been a gas. But it would have been hard to produce it would have been hard to produce a show, do by play by play, and be at an offsite party all at the same time. Well, and as a heel character. Oh, I wouldn't give a shit about that. <laughs> I would have just been a heel at the party. It would have been fun. Did you send the Nitro Girls or Mean Gene? Uh, there was a couple occasions where we stunted one or two, but they were really more set up. They weren't the real deal. Like, there were certain Nitro parties that were the real deal. Like, we didn't even know they were going on. Somebody sent us to the tape and went, wow, we got to put that on the air. Um, but a lot of them were staged. So those, the staged ones were the ones where the Nitro Girls would show up or Mean Gene. Ah, kayfabe, people. Well, been a really, yeah. Um, and this has been like a really fun quarantine party that we had tonight. Hashtag quarantine party, I guess, would be it. Eric, it um, is- any final thoughts for the folks out there? Final thoughts is... You know, use your head, use common sense. You know, you're not invincible. You, you know, I, I'm guilty of that. You know, I think that, you know, things that will bother most people or hurt most people or make most people won't bother me. Um, 
but you got to smarten up a little bit, you know, look for good information. I may post a link on my social media here in a little while. I'm debating whether or not I want to do that because I try to stay out of the fray as much as I can. But the stuff of I, the stuff I have been reading is non-political. There's not a political tone uh, to it in any way, shape, or form. So I may post it because it is to me it's the most uh, credible and up-to-date information that I've been able to find. But you know, don't panic. Don't go out and buy up a bunch of shit you don't need. Uh, use use common sense. And uh, hunker down. You know, this is this is where you find out what people are made of. What your friends, your family, your coworkers. This is this is where it gets real. And get real. Be serious, but don't panic. And listen to eighty-three weeks. Any idea what you'll be covering next week? There you go. Hey, if you're going to be stuck in the house for the next two months, eating frozen pizza and drinking cheap beer, you might as well watch eighty-three weeks. And after eighty-three weeks with Christy Olson, right? Yes. What do we have coming next week? Steve? I believe it's Uncensored 2000. All right. Yeah. They just bumped. <laughs> <laughs> I just watched that. Uh, he covered that. Conrad covered that with Tony Schiavone this week. So I just watched that today. And whew, y'all are going to have a conversation. Going to be a good one. Oh, God. You know, I haven't had anything to drink in a couple of weeks. It may be time to start. <laughs> Yeah, I think you're probably the only one in the world, Eric, who's not drinking. I was going to do a sober March thing, too, before all this. And I've been on the treadmill. I've been working out a couple hours a day. I've dropped about 30 pounds. I'm feeling good. And then all of a sudden, I'm stuck at home with nothing to do. I don't know. It's going to be a challenge. All right. Well, stay healthy. Stay occupied. Thank you for joining us. Um, And I, for one, really appreciate that we do this thing and everybody came and watched tons of people hanging out in the live chat. And I hope that we lifted some spirits and gave you a little interaction tonight. It's in the world and we're the only destination for all your favorite TV shows. Whatever you crave, we've got it. So go to AfterBuzzTV.com and check out our lineup. Buzz you later. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.